0: Welcome to Sojourner True. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. On our weekly broadcast, we continue our coverage of what millions of people around the world are calling a genocide happening now in Gaza. This time, we will discuss the support for Israeli actions by conservative religious fundamentalists, including some within the Black church. Our guest is Lawrence Ware, co-director of the Oklahoma State University Africana Studies program. He is also a journalist and commentator. During this segment, you will also hear the words of 20-year-old Gaza resident Shaima Ahmad, who kept an audio diary until all contact with her sadly was lost. Also, breaking news from south of the border, Argentina has overwhelmingly elected a new president who is a fan of Donald Trump, who, who promises many extreme measures. He is extreme, even to some on the right. How did this happen? What is he promising to do? What are the implications for Argentina, as well as for other governments and countries in the region? Our guest is Mexico City-based journalist and author Laura Carlson. We live in a global world. We're all interrelated. So on Sojourner Truth, we work to bring directly to you news and views on local, national and international policies and stories that affect us all. And we draw out how those of us most impacted women, communities of color and other communities are responding. We also discuss the interrelationship between art and politics. Now for our new For Pacifica headlines. Radio,
1: I'm Christina honested Hundreds of patients at the Indonesian hospital in Gaza were evacuated after an Israeli airstrike hit the hospital's second floor Monday, killing at least 12 people. Some of the evacuated patients suffer critical injuries and require urgent surgical intervention, according to doctors. Indonesian hospital has housed thousands of patients and displaced people for weeks. It's now overwhelmed with patients lying on the floor as all beds have been taken. Doctors say they fear it will become another Al-Shifa Hospital, with reports of snipers located at nearby buildings and tanks outside. Meanwhile, the United Nations says the situation in Gaza
2: is deteriorating. Scott Bamba reports. Dr. Mike Ryan is the executive director of the World Health Organization's health emergencies program.
3: There are only 10 of the 36 health hospitals that were functioning in Gaza now functioning.
2: In addition to a near collapse of the health system, Ryan said population displacement and concentration are setting Gaza up for a health nightmare.
3: Heavy rain it has flooded a lot of the makeshift camps and it is generating all kinds of risks. And it's not just the risks of diarrheal disease. The sudden drop in temperature is going to create a problem with pneumonia in children, the stress that those kids are under, the nutritional status that those children
4: have. Make it a recipe for
2: epidemics. As the United Nations marks World Children's Day, United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres said he has had to present seven annual reports on children killed by state actors, with the worst culprit being the Taliban in 2017, who killed roughly 700 children. But he said the war in Gaza has profoundly changed the math.
3: We have had, in a few weeks, thousands of children killed. We are witnessing a killing of civilians that is unparalleled and, and unprecedented. I'm
2: Scott Baba, Pacifica Radio, KPFA.
1: In the U.S., Senator Democrat Jeff Merkley has become the second senator to call for a ceasefire in Gaza. In a statement, he said he supports Israel's right to self-defense. But the way Israel has conducted that campaign matters and has been deeply disturbing for me and millions of others. Israel's unleashed a bombing campaign on Gaza of phenomenal ferocity. The impression the world has been left with is one of indiscriminate bombing, the Oregon senator said. Temperatures are rising, greenhouse gas emissions are increasing, and the nations are falling, and nations are falling behind in efforts to limit global warming, according to a grim conclusion of a new United Nations report on the gap between pledged actions to reduce climate warming emissions and the goal set by the Paris Climate Accords. The report comes out ahead of the COP28 UN Climate Summit scheduled to begin at the end of the month. Christopher Martinez reports.
3: We must reverse course.
1: United
5: Nations Secretary-General Antonio Guterres released the 2023 edition of the Emissions Gap Report produced by the United Nations Environment Program. The report bears the title, Broken Record, with the subtitle, Temperatures Hit New Highs, Yet World Fails to Cut Emissions Again. Under the 2015 Paris Climate Accords, nations agreed to aim for a target of reducing global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. But that's not the way it's been working out, according to Guterres.
3: Present trends are racing our planet down a dead end, three degree temperature rise. In short, the report shows that the emissions gap is more like an emissions canyon. A canyon littered with broken promises, broken lives... And broken records.
5: The new report comes ahead of the COP28 climate summit scheduled to begin in Dubai on November 30th. Guterres says the report and debate at COP28 must, in his words, light the fuse to an explosion of ambition in 2025.
3: It demands a just, equitable renewables transition and record emissions reductions.
5: Reporting for Pacifica Radio News KPFA, I'm Christopher Martinez.
1: The Biden administration marked Transgender Remembrance Day Monday. The Human Rights Campaign issued a report finding at least 33 trans people were killed in the U.S. in the last year. That number is much higher globally. The group Transgender Europe reports 321 trans and gender diverse people were killed globally between October 1st, 2022 and September 30th, 2023. A statement from U.S. President Joe Biden says there's no place in hate in America and no one should be discriminated against simply for being themselves. And appeals court has struck down a court provision of the Voting Rights Act. Catherine Carley reports the federal appeals court ruling in an Arkansas gerrymandering case says only the federal government, not private citizens or groups, can challenge voting rules under the racial discrimination section of the landmark law, the 1965 Voting Rights Act. Civil rights organizations say that would cripple a major tool for protecting minority votes and say they want to take it to the Supreme Court. House Democratic leader Hakeem Jeffries of New York says they'll work to restore the full force of the law.
3: The right to
5: vote is sacred. It's central to the integrity of our democracy, to the principle of free and fair elections.
1: I'm Catherine Carley for Pacifica Network and Public News Service. I'm Christina Onestead reporting for Pacifica Radio.
0: Those were our news headlines. And before we get to our segment on Gaza, what is happening there? First, the breaking news from south of the border. Argentina has overwhelmingly elected a new president, and he is to the right, to the extreme, a fan of Donald Trump. Donald Trump congratulated him and said that he will make Argentina great again. Now, this came as a surprise to many. And today we're going to be joined by Laura Carlson. We'll be discussing this in some depth, but let me introduce uh, Laura to you. She is a regular on our weekly roundtable. We hope our weekly roundtable will be back uh, very soon, but it won't be each week because we're now a uh, a weekly show, my choice for it to be a weekly show, but we do intend to bring our team uh, back together very soon. (laughs) Laura Carlson is the director of the Americas Program and works with Just Associates, an international feminist organization. She's based in Mexico City, She's a regular contributor to America's Updater, Foreign Policy in Focus, Counterpunch, and several Spanish-language publications. She is also a television host and a commentator on globalization, the drug war, immigration, and gender issues for various international news outlets. Laura, welcome. It's been way too long.
6: It has indeed, Margaret. It's a pleasure to be back. Although yeah. I'm not so fond of this issue.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm telling you, Laura, the, the world we're living in, I mean, it's such a heartbreak, and you may want to comment a bit on what is happening in, in Gaza, and it's spread also to the West Bank, Palestinian territory. But then this uh, kind of, so many people, shocking news about Argentina. First of all, tell us who is the new candidate, a bit about his background, and what? Basically, his platform is what he's
6: threatening to do. Laura. Well, Javier Millet, who just won the presidential election in Argentina by a surprising over 10 point margin against the candidate of the current government, Sergio Massa, is um, a former television personality, he is an advisor to major businesses within the country, and then recently was a member of Congress. And so he's he was portrayed as an outsider and yet he has been very much inside both the government and of course the elite ruling class his whole platform was actually against what he calls the caste which was the political and economic elite of which he is a part but he somehow managed to construct this narrative of being again an outsider and someone who was going to come and shake up the system at a time when the system itself was encountering a fair deep crisis. Argentina has a major debt crisis with the IMF. It has a crisis of uh, some 140% inflation, something that the average Argentine, you know, feels very directly in their pocketbook, which made for a major pillar of his campaign, how badly mismanaged the, the economy has been. And Sergio Massa, his opponent... Was actually minister of the economy in the final months of um, before the elections, and so he had to take a hit in terms of what's been happening there uh, from the, from the from the electorate now. Javier Milei is a member of the alt right, of the extreme right. He is, as you mentioned, a fan of of Jair Bolsonaro in Brazil, who was defeated by Lula in the last elections, of Donald Trump, and of other major figures of the far right. It's safe to assume, although we don't know exactly what the lines are there, that he has uh, received major support from the Right on the international basis, we know that uh, Bolsonaro's son, Eduardo, immediately came down to Argentina, you know, to to help with the campaign. And he's run a campaign that really follows the basic playbook of the far right uh, in in countries throughout the world. One of the major features of this campaign was the use of social networks. He hired a young influencer to create his narrative of this macho, um, shake it up kind of a guy who was going to come into politics and eliminate privileges. And when he talks about privileges, he includes affirmative action. Action programs, social programs, the safety net for sectors that have been permanently and structurally discriminated against within the society. So what he's proposing is really quite radical, and it remains to be seen whether he'll be able to or whether he'll even want to carry it out. He's proposing on the economic level, he calls himself an anarcho-capitalist. And what he means by that is a completely deregulated capitalist economy. He would uh, dollarize, get rid of the Argentine peso and dollarize the entire economy. He said he would end the central bank. and economists throughout the economy are really kind of shaking in their boots about some of these proposals, including major businessmen and conservatives. So it's it's kind of up in the air whether he'll actually go through with some of those. In terms of his social policies, the situation is even worse. He's a, a, a clearly a misogynist. He has come out against lay, uh, legal, safe and free abortions for women, which was a hard-fought gain of the Argentine women's movements. He's against the legal concept and penalization of femicide as such. He has stated that he's going to close down immediately the Ministry of Women, um, saying that it causes privileges, special privileges for women. And why isn't there a Ministry of Men, you know? And he's also said that he would eliminate sex education in the schools. His vice presidential candidate, who is a woman, has been even worse, um, saying that there's no such thing as gender violence, and they have constantly criticized what the far right calls ideology of, of gender. So we're up against really one of the worst examples of the far right in Latin America, who will now be governing one of the major economies and one of the most important countries in the region.
0: Yeah, I mean Laura, this is really scary stuff and just just looking at even the press conf uh coverage, the international uh support that he is uh getting, of course you mentioned Donald Trump, you mentioned Jair Bolsonaro who apparently will attend the uh inauguration and he's also getting congratulations from um other right-leaning, um, so-named leaders around the world, from André Ventura, of, of the leader of Portugal's far-right um, group, um, Salvini from Italy's uh, far-right league, um, Abascal from Spain's far-right uh, party, and um, Hungary's president congratulated congratulated him. So this not only has implications for um, south of the border, for countries where we've seen so many governments uh, lean to the left, but clearly um, the right wing and their global uh, efforts uh, are seeing this as a boost uh, for them. And Laura, it's also symbolic that is, is it right that his inauguration will happen on the anniversary of the revolution in Argentina that overturned the dictatorship? And he's also made some very disparaging uh, comments about uh, the lives that were lost uh, during um, that uh, period of horror in Argentina,
6: Laura. Well, Margaret, I totally agree with you that this is a wind in the sails of the far right on an international level. And I think they completely know that. Um, In addition to the ones you mentioned, Vox in Spain, we could add Elon Musk has written, to congratulate him, you know, and there's a whole series, well, it's the usual cast of characters that we've seen um, on the international far right that have congratulated um, Javier Millet in Argentina. And it's going to be a test case for them. And I think that's possibly where there's going to be some possibility for For gains among progressive forces. Here's why. The situation in Argentina is a disaster. And what that means is that he will be inheriting that disaster. It will be very difficult for him to show the positive gains or even to remotely um, comply with his campaign promises. And we know that the neoliberal agenda is unable to deliver gains for the common people within our countries. We've known that for decades. So we're going to be doing some real fact-based journalism to create the benchmarks and to meet, to measure some of his claims of a new Argentina and prosperity and paradise, practically. He, calls him, he considers himself almost godlike. Um, he believes that he won the election from the forces of heaven that supported him. You know, so we'll be we'll be measuring those against what really happens. Um, I think it's also very important the point that you mentioned regarding history, because the way that they have minimized, the costs, the human costs of the military dictatorship in all its brutality in Argentina, is going to also come back to bite them. What they have said is that no, it wasn't even remotely 30,000 people who were killed or disappeared, which is a figure that has been has been confirmed time and time again. It was some small number, and that uh, it was in the context of a war against the left, and you can and you can expect casualties in a War. This is not at all what it was. You know, it was an orchestrated and supported by the U.S. campaign against the opposition by a brutal military dictatorship that still has to come to terms with uh, hundreds of disappeared people. The and that was
0: during 1976 to 83. Is that right? That this happened? Yes, um, yes, thank this you. Happened. For- uh-huh. so,
6: Yes, And it may seem like a long t- time ago to many people, but we remember in in, in our countries, we've, we've seen this clearly time and time again, that the historical memory is extremely important for building any kind of democracy or freedom within the countries. And unless you come to terms honestly, and of course, he's and treating it with a whole host of lies, uh, you will not see that kind of democracy. So it's it's a very, very dangerous situation.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I, I suppose some people didn't take him seriously, you know, They were calling him a clown and and things like that. Uh, But here you go. You can never underestimate the other side. He's taking office on December 10th, according to the Washington Post. It's the 40th anniversary of Argentina's uh, return to democracy. And many people who may not know about that history, the name of uh, Eva Perón, who has been so lauded, and there was a musical and a film and and, and, what? whatnot uh, about her and uh, successive governments uh, were seen to be at least somewhat associated with that uh, Peronist movement. However, you're right about the situation he is inheriting because uh, I was reading that inflation is something like 140 percent, the third highest in the world in Argentina, that uh, two in five are uh, people, Argentines, according, this is according to the New York Times now, uh, live in poverty. The value of the currency has has dropped tremendously and. Uh, Argentines are going around with huge wads of money, you know, that uh, may not mean a whole hell of a lot. So I suppose for uh, particularly some of the young people you say who were – Impress and influence by this, uh, the social media influencers that he, he brought into the campaign, but that some of the younger people were born and lived through only this time of difficulty in Argentina. So they really didn't have that, lived through that earlier history, you know what I mean, of the repression and the dictatorship. Uh, how much do you think that? played a role because he he won by a resounding victory. I mean some people are calling it a landslide. I don't have the figures right in front of me, but it was it was a, a market victory uh, Laura Carlson
6: right so we have to we have to look a little bit at uh, how this happened first of all there were the primaries and he uh won the primaries or he came in the primaries much higher than anyone expected when his candidacy was still being treated as you say as kind of a joke because of his off-the-wall statements that he makes frequently like including hearing voices during an interview this is the degree of of insanity that we're talking about um and then then this First round of voting came up in which he faced off against essentially three candidates. The other one was also on the right, and she had had very serious run-ins with Javier Millet. But when she was um, eliminated in the first round, she threw her support to him, which was probably important, especially for the women's vote, because he was going to have a serious problem with the women's vote, given that he opposes basically all women's rights. Um, And then in the second round, it was it was kind of touch and go for at the first uh, polling that took place. And then finally, he completely he completely eliminated the rivalry with Sergio Massa and won by what I would hate to call a landslide, but was a significant was a significant margin. So that's been the history of it. Um, The fact that many of the young people in Argentina, you can vote from age 16 which is really too early for young people, especially young men, to have the responsibility of defining a democracy, I think. It's something that happened years back. And so his base of support is essentially, he has a strong base of support anyway, and we still have to wait to see how the figures break down after the analysis of this last round of voting. But it's a strong base of support among young men, from age 16 to 29. If you look at some of his rallies, like the closing rally, that's what you'll see there. And if you look at some of the comments on his many YouTube videos, what you see is also a very ugly backlash against women's rights and against feminism. So, there's something much more sinister than discontent or general economic malaise that's happening here. They're also manipulating that rage of men and of individuals who feel like they're losing their privileges to women or to some kind of amorphous a privileged economic and political elite. And of course, there is a very real privileged and economic elite, but usually these people who, who portray it like this form part of that and in fact are all for consolidating their privileges rather than eroding them but this is the narrative that they're constructing and we've we've seen that narrative happen in the united states we've seen it happen in other places at will as well and it banks on the lack of historical memory it banks on 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 revising actual events that happened in the past and misconstruing current realities. And yet, because of the use of social media, because of the use of discourses that reach out to visceral reactions of insecurity and of discontent among the population, they're able to get away with it.
0: Yes, and our guest is uh, Laura Carlson. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Saturna Truth, and we are discussing what to many. Uh, was shocking with the election in Argentina of Javier Millet, who is from the very far right. And some pundits are predicting that Buenos Aires, the capital of uh, Argentina, will in many ways become a kind of a center of the global uh right wing uh movement and you know there's a lot of worry there's an election uh coming up in the in Holland uh, in the Netherlands uh this Wednesday and the right wing candidate who's coming across as very reasonable you know and agreeing with this and agreeing with that but is uh, basically strongly anti-immigrant wanting to shut the borders and, and stoking you know that you. Know, the racist, anti-immigrant uh, uh, view. So we we have to see how this will impact, you know, other elections and and give uh, you know power to and, and voice to some of these right wing um, movements. But Laura also he clearly or has already said that he intends to go after people like Lula. Uh, in Brazil, uh, Venezuela, you could only imagine with uh, with the Maduro government and and any government in in Latin America that is is seen to be more on the left. So we we have to wait and see how all of that is is going to play out and what Bolsonaro. Um, who was lost the election to lula in brazil he seems to be finding new hope or uh, new power from uh, from this from this particular election so this is to be continued uh, laura but um, I'm also wondering, um, you know, the the other thing that we have been uh, covering over these past weeks, uh, what many are increasingly calling a genocide that's going on, you know, in Gaza. Oh, and by the way, there is a connection here. Before we, we go on to that, I read a report that he actually is a, a big fan of... Um, uh, you know, of, 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 of um, Netanyahu in in Israel, who's also to the right, and that he plans on moving the Argentina uh, embassy to Jerusalem, which which Donald Trump did, and we know is a big uh, provocation um, for uh, Palestinians living in Israel and Palestinians uh, generally. So that's kind of a bridge between, so he's making it clear which side he's on. In in this particular thing. But from where you sit, um, Laura, how how is this what's happening in Gaza and to some degree also bleeding into the West Bank? How is that being seen by folks where you are? I mean, is there an outcry against it? or there protests or
6: people? Wh- yeah, there happening? definitely are. And the bridge that you mentioned is important in terms of the geopolitics of this Argentine election, because he has stated, Millet has stated clearly that he will um, he he will focus commercial and diplomatic relations with the United States and Israel, the two countries that he named, that he will cut them off, which is virtually impossible, with China and the communists, he calls countries, the progressive countries in Latin America. And then meanwhile, there's been a lot of talk since the conflict began, since the Israeli invasion. Of Palestine began this time around about Latin America and especially the progressive countries leading some kind of an effort, diplomatic effort toward a ceasefire and toward peace negotiations. Because as we've seen, the United States government, and this is something that's been much criticized here in Mexico and in other countries, has taken an unconditional step stance in support of the war, uh, of the invasion, and of the Israeli government. The European government hasn't done anything. The United Nations has been um, incapable of doing anything with the U.S. veto in the Security Council. Brazil has presented a resolution calling for a ceasefire, and uh, many of the progressive countries here have done that. It now looks like, not just because of the Argentine elections, but in general, that there isn't a lot of room to move in that sense. But at least that there's been kind of a moral, move to say, this is not right. We do not support this. And many of the countries, including Mexico, Brazil, um, Colombia, and Chile and others have come out to say that uh, they want to see a different approach, and in, in, in particular, a ceasefire and a condemnation of the human rights violations taking part, uh, taking place on the part of Israel in Gaza. So we've been watching that very closely as well. There've been demonstrations in the streets here in Mexico. They've been they've been quite large in other countries. You know, they've been varying in size, but there's no doubt that there are people um, who are very much against what's happening there and who feel attached to it in some ways. One of the things that's happened with all this, with the atrocities that we're seeing, especially in terms of the murder of women and children, has been that it has reignited a sense of solidarity throughout the world with Palestine in particular, but also with this whole idea that something like this could happen in this day and age. That uh, this type of bald faced and brutal imperialism and occupation could take place, I think many other populations and particularly here in Latin America, recognize it as a threat, not just to the Palestinian people, but to people in other countries as well. Right. Well, on
0: that note, uh, Laura, sadly, we are out of time now, but we'll have you back um, very soon. We'll be tracking what's going on in Argentina and the impact that that has. So on the one hand, you see the right. trying to make their moves. But on the other hand, you see a massive uh, global movement uh, calling for a ceasefire in, in Gaza. Laura Carlson, thank you so very much for joining us and thank you for all of your work, Laura.
6: Thank you, Margaret. Great to talk to you in the audience. All righty.
0: We are going to take a short station break. And when we return, uh, we waiting in the wings to speak with us is uh, Lawrence Ware. I'll do a, a full introduction to him uh, when we return. We'll be right back.
2: Two, one, two, two, three, four.
0: Okay, and the great late John Lennon give peace a chance. It's we've been playing that quite a bit over these uh, past weeks, given the horrors uh, going on now inflicted on the people. In Gaza, of course, this following um, a horrific attack that happened uh, in Israel that included uh, women and children um, by uh, military um, forces, the military wing of uh, Hamas. Um, Before we uh, welcome our guests, though, I did want to set some context of what is going on here now. I think for people who've been Following the news, you could see that um, some people, even uh, people in U.N. agencies are now calling this a war on children, thousands of children who who have been killed. And in fact, uh, nobody really knows the numbers of Palestinians who have been killed, because even um, New York Times and Washington Post reporters that went into Gaza with um, Israeli troops say everywhere they go there is the smell of death, of of bodies um, that remain under the rubble and I read one report that's saying there are likely uh, thousands Uh, so we just don't know that uh, yet but I want to share with you uh, the words of uh, Shaima Ahmed who is a 20 year old engineering uh, student, lives in gaza this was reported in the washington post what she decided to do was to keep an audio uh uh, diary and she did that until contact was lost with her let us go to her words now nighttime was
7: full of horrors every night is like that in gaza during those 17 days However, last night was a totally different story. The rockets that were being fired and the bombs that were being thrown were enough to destroy whole residential squares of people, residential buildings, families being wiped off existence completely. Every morning we would try to get connection, to get to our loved ones, to confirm they were alive. And every morning we would get news that we lost one more person. Hello. Um right now as I speak to you our house is full of dirt and the smell of gunpowder. Last night was just horrible. Every second and every minute there was continuous bombing. This was the worst night so far. Every single one of these have been filling the house with more dirt and shaking the core of the building. And it's still continuous and they just won't stop. I don't even know what they're targeting at this point. It's all houses and this is all we've been hearing on the news. We heard the bombs, relentless, continuous, but had no idea where they fell and if they were getting closer to our area, how much damage they had caused. Absolutely nothing. We were disconnected. We were in the dark, already in the dark with no electricity, and now in the dark about what's going on around us. And even the ambulances couldn't reach the people who were injured or attacked, and many people died in the past two two days because ambulances weren't able to get to them in time. I, I really have no words to describe how we were living the past two days. The idea of getting in, of getting involved in an attack directly, getting your house bombed, is just becoming more terrifying because now, as you know, there is complete blackout in the hospitals, there is no anesthesia. So if you need to use the hospital, you know already that you will have no place, there are no empty beds, and you're going to have to go in- into surgery without anesthesia, and you're going to live through the worst nightmare ever every day the passes you just wish that you stay with your family and if an attack happens you just pray that you don't get stuck under the rubble or you don't you don't get injured you just pass away with your family and you don't have to live all the suffering and all the pain hello i don't really know if this message will ever get to you but hopefully i'll get connected again and it will the situation in gaza right now is just Horrible. In every way possible. The tanks in the north are approaching. People are fighting over a bottle of water and a piece of bread, I swear. That's just a story my brother told us and my cousins that went out. They go out basically every morning to get everything they could get and everything they could find. It's basically a struggle to get a few pieces of bread and a bottle or a few bottles and liters of water for us to drink for that day. And this is our struggle daily. This, this is just one part of it. Gaza has become a living hell, I swear. Even dying isn't even our worst case scenario. We are living through hell in every way possible, I swear. God, I I really have no words. That is all I have to say. Right now, as I recorded to you, our area is being severely bombed. We're preparing our things. We might be displaced again. Um, So, um, I'm not sure how long I'm gonna be able to stay in contact if we moved. We're gonna have to move in between the tanks so that we don't get shot at or bombed at on the way. And hopefully we're not forced to move. But now this place is becoming a military um, war zone, basically. So um, hopefully we don't have to move out tonight, hopefully, because we've already moved so many times. We've already gone to a school, had to stay there with about 100 people in the same classroom. we've We've lived through so much struggle up until now. I just hope we don't have to move again.
0: Oh, boy. And that was Shaima Ahmad, a 20-year-old engineering uh, student in Gaza. Keep in mind, this was just at the beginning of the invasion uh, since contact was lost with uh, Shaima. Um, the, the northern part of Gaza has pretty much been uh, taken over, thousands uh, killed, hospitals and and um, refugee camps bombed, uh, UN schools targeted, other hospitals targeted, and much more horror uh, going on. We hope that she has survived and she is uh, some, somewhere. Um I would like to welcome our guest now Lawrence Ware co-director of the Oklahoma State University Africana Studies Program and teaching assistant professor and diversity coordinator in the Department of Philosophy. He's a contributing writer to Slate Magazine, to the New York Times and The Root. He's been a commentator on race and politics for the Huffington Post Live, NPR and TV1. He has taught and lectured across the country on issues ranging from race to economic uh, policy. He organizes critical conversation series, which hosts a number of events on campus related to race, gender, and religion. Uh, Lawrence
4: Ware, welcome. Glad to be here.
0: All righty. Uh Lawrence wrenching to hear um the Absolutely. words of this of this this young woman. And what I, I wanted to speak with you about is that there you know, there is a, a great deal of support coming from a section of the religious uh, communities, uh, the, the Christian right in particular. And some of that bleeds into um, uh, support for what Israel is doing in uh, Gaza, some of that bleeding over into the black church. And mm. Lawrence, I, I just wondered what you know about this movement? We know that some of them are members of Congress, and why? What is the justification um, being being given in this particular instance? We know of other justifications of Israel having a right to defend itself, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, Lawrence, uh, your thoughts here?
4: Well it probably would help for me to give a little bit more background about myself. So in addition to doing philosophy and doing all those kind of stuff, I'm also an ordained minister. I was ordained into the Southern Baptist convention. Also the progressive national Baptist convention. Um, When I was ordained, I've been working in ministry for probably gosh, 10 years, something like that. Wow. Um, okay. And uh, so in working in ministry, but, but really my writing the first thing that I wrote that really garnered some attention was a piece that I wrote for the New York Times some time ago called Why I'm Leaving the Southern Baptist Convention. And me writing that, what I was talking about in that piece was about why I was so uncomfortable with the racism, the blatant racism in the Southern Baptist Convention, about my uncomfortability about being in those evangelical spaces. And so, Uh, I left the Southern Baptist Convention. It was a big, you know, to do about that. And, you know, all kinds of hell broke loose, but I'm, I'm okay now. But the issue here, though, is that that piece that I wrote back then ties into some of my uncomfortability now, because part of what's happening here is that a lot of people who support Israel are not doing so because they think that Israel is a nation state and they have the right to defend themselves. And in their eyes, no no matter what Israel does, they kind of support them and go along with that. And that is rooted in a misunderstanding of the Bible. And it's a misunderstanding of Christianity. And I don't want to get into the, the weeds of theology here, but the point here is that it's okay if you want to, to support Israel's right to defend themselves if you want to. But once you start crossing into genocidal behavior, that's a bridge too far for me. That starts moving into a realm of evil. And, and that's what's at at the core of what's at the problem here is that there is this uncritical support for what Israel is doing grounded in a misunderstanding of theology. But even if that misunderstanding of theology still holds, the issue is now not only, you know, is there a misunderstanding of theology that's at the ground of this, but further you're now, you're now signing up for Israel to do really, really bad things. I mean, thousands of children and women and men, have been killed like we we are way past defending yourself and trying to make a life no that's not what's happening here we have something that is way beyond the pale and so there is kind of this this kind of misunderstanding when it comes to black religion in particular because so much of black religion has been all about liberation and whatnot but 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 conservative black christianity has oftentimes had this uncomfortable relationship with white evangelical christianity and what's happening is that a lot of black christians are going along with that black with that white evangelical christian ideology that says that no matter what israel does we support them and even that is deeply flawed but but what's happening is that there was this guy by the name of John Hagee who was a pastor and said he was a pastor in San Antonio he's still alive I believe um although he m- might not be pastoring anymore but he wrote this book and he was very influential in um like pushing this idea that that Christians should be supporting Israel. And the core of that idea is really what's at the heart of why so many people continue to support Israel, why so many people are really hesitant to speak out against Israel. So there's all this stuff in this, in this kind of pile, if you will, that's kind of working to keep people who are critical about what Israel is doing silent and to allow the people who support Israel to support them without any kind of pushback from from many individuals who think that there is something deeply wrong with what Israel is up to.
0: Right. Okay. Thanks for that. And and clearing up your, your background there. We no, have problem. To no problem. No problem. We... Update your bio, law, <laughs> uh, Better known as Law, if I, it's okay yes, to call you Law. Yes, ma'am.
4: Absolutely. Ma'am, you can call me anything you want to. You are a hero <laughs> to me. You can call me whatever you want to, ma'am. Okay.
0: Thank you. Thank you, uh, Law. But for people who are then wondering about the question of, of theology, because Mm -hmm. we know there, there are a lot of people even in the movement that I'm part of other movements, Mm -hmm. you know, black folks who you're in church, you go to church on Sundays, Mm -hmm. right? Right, right. Um, I know my mom certainly did um, faithfully. Mm -hmm. And so what is this reasoning um, in terms of inter a a misinterpretation or misunderstanding of the Bible. I heard something about the second coming of Christ. Look, I, I don't mm-hmm. fully understand it. Maybe you could can you explain that for, for lay people like myself listening oh, to this right my.
4: now? Okay. Uh there, there's a lot here. I'm gonna, you know, I'm I'm from Oklahoma. It's a, it's a country part of Oklahoma. Uh, my gr- my great grandmother used to say, "We are gonna cut across the field just to kind of get to the heart of the matter here." So we are gonna cut across the field in this conversation. Um, yeah, because
0: we don't have a lot of time. We don't have but a lot of time. Yeah. All right, so
4: I'm not gonna I'm not gonna weigh it down. The issue here at the core is that um, the the guy that I mentioned before, John Hagee, he said that in order for Christ to come back, that that Israel. Uh, the people, the, the people of who. Who are Jews needed to come back to Israel. Um uh, th- that was a crucial part of what he felt was an end-time prophecy. That's that's kind of at the core. Now there's there's a lot more strands to that, but that's at the core that he felt oh. that 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 Jews needed to come back to Israel in order to do that. And so that means in his mind that you support Israel no matter what. Uh that Christians, if Christians want Jesus to come back, then what they must do is they must support. Uh, the state of Israel and allow the Jews who want to come back to the state of Israel to come back. And that would uh, speed up Jesus uh, coming back um, and doing the rapture and all that kind of stuff. So, so that's at the core of this. Now I have many issues with, with that point. Um, but but that's at the core of it, and and even my okay. grandmother rest her soul. She believed in the rapture. She was caught up in the stuff. So a lot of people really deeply believe that, and that is what is so hard to get people to kind of get out of that, um, because they have so tied themselves to that like kind of prophecy.
0: Right. Yeah, and you know contrast that to the teachings of what not only me, but other people refer to that Black Palestinian Jew Mm-hmm. Who in the mm-hmm. form of, of Jesus. Of right? Jesus, yeah. Um you know Ooh, you called thinking, him black. Oh,
4: you trying to start a fight. Oh Lord, oh Lord, I have, love
0: it. Have mercy. Well, you know, I'm gonna push the <laughs> envelope. Okay. Yes, ma'am. You know, the yes, only ma'am. description of him is like his hair was like lamb's wool. Well Absolutely. You know, that, that's, that a like a curly, that's a black that person. That's <laughs> like a black person. A curly fro to me. Okay. <laughs> so all these images of this blonde haired, you know, oh blue-eyed, no, uh, no, trice, no. no. Uh, Absolutely far, not. far, far from the far from the truth here. Mm-hmm. So we, we need to we do need to cut through that, because, as I said, people in the millions are standing up around the world and saying there is a genocide going on. My mm-hmm. daughter, Chanda, whom, you know, mm-hmm. said, Mom, I grew up with and she herself is is Jewish. Mm-hmm. I grew up um, with Never Again for Anyone. And mm. it is so encouraging to see Jewish uh, people, young people, but not only young people, rabbis are joining them, Absolutely. taking over buildings, Absolutely. going to the Statue of Liberty, being at the forefront in, in the San Francisco and in, in Oakland, 450-something people got arrested, mm-hmm. led by young Jewish people who are saying, not in our name. So the, right. for people who believe in this stuff, Take a look at the reality of what is going on uh with with the slaughter uh that is happening. Some people call it an ethnic cleansing, some people a genocide, not quibbling mm-hmm. over words, but clearly to me it There's certainly something. seems yeah. like a genocide uh, look, it, going on. It, it walk and talks like a people. genocide.
4: It absolutely Ex- does.
0: Exactly. Mm-hmm. So then to you know, to to make sense of that. Within the belief of uh, you know, um, well, I'm a Christian, and 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 therefore, what you have to support uh, this is what's what's going on. It seems to me as though if Christ did come back, He would be coming back and saying, you know, like He whipped those people out of the temple to say, mm-hmm. "Not in My name are you doing this, right?" Absolutely. So, law, what, what, what then for people who are? Um, involved with the Black church and, and people mm-hmm. in, in our audience who are, we, we just have a, a, a few minutes left here. Um, what are some of the, the things that you think they could do or arguments that, that they could make I mean, be no whole families and organizations and whatnot are getting split behind what is happening here. So law, just give us some final thoughts from you on, on all of this, this entire situation
4: here. Well, it's, it's very messy. And for me at the core of what it means to be a Christian is love that that's at the core of that. And, um, And if people are doing things that are contradictory to love, then for me, that is something that I cannot as a Christian get behind and genocidal behavior ethnic cleansing behavior. It don't matter what it is. There's murders happening here. I can't get behind that. I cannot support that. Now, what to do, there's all kinds of letters that are circulating. Your daughter has done a lot of work in getting letters and stuff together. Like, There's a lot of things that are going around, but but at the core of the argument that it needs to be asked is um, when you're talking to a person who was is supporting Israel at all costs and all the kind of stuff, the question that you ask them are, is what they're doing in line with what Jesus would have wanted to happen. Um, and that's a Christian point. We can go into other kind of religions, but but that's at the core of this. Would Jesus be okay with what Israel is doing? If the answer is no, then you don't support them. That's that's at the core. That's at the, that is the bottom line. That's how you end that conversation. If Jesus is not okay with what is happening, then we turn our backs to that and we fight against that.
0: Right. And and law uh, also important. I know we have to wrap up, but remember the liberatory uh, theology. I mean, our ancestors who were enslaved and and many of whom, you know, turned uh, to the church mm-hmm. uh, as to build a base of resistance. Right. And Absolutely. this was also going on during the, the civil rights era to uh, a base of resistance against oppression. Right. So that mm-hmm. is the exact opposite of of saying, well, I have to support um, this uh, this slaughter, this genocide that's going on. But law, there's so many topics. I know that you we, you and I could talk for hours. Right? We absolutely um, could. We absolutely could. A number of things. So I hope that you will become um, much more regular for us here on Sojourner Truth, and really appreciate you taking the time uh, to join us. Thank you Let's, so very much.
4: Anytime you ask me, I'm going to move heaven and earth to try to be here for you. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs>
0: There you go. Okay. Thank you so much. Um, We are out of time uh, now. I'd like to thank uh, all of today's guests. I'd like to thank Jose Benavides uh, for his help. Um, with today's show. If you like a copy of today's show, please contact the Pacifica Radio Archives at 1-800-735-0230. Go online to PacificaRadioArchives.org. Um, you could check out our show on, on SoundCloud. I think I got so in, involved in the show, I, I did mention that you could hear us nationwide and worldwide on SoundCloud. And also check out our Facebook um, on SoundCloud, by the way all of our back shows are also uh posted there so thank you for listening stay tuned for more programming on your local pacifica station including kpfk in in southern california we want to welcome all of our uh, listeners on other Pacifica stations and our affiliate uh, stations as well. Uh, Sojourner Truth will be back on the air Tuesday of next week. Thank you for listening. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. And remember, please stay well and safe.